0: Hello and welcome to another tennis year and another podcast to mark the start of another season and how we all hope that 2021 will end up being slightly better than 2020. We certainly start the podcast season with a bang, with genuine legends of both singles and doubles. In 11 months time, the finest men's players this year will once again compete at the NITO ATP finals, this time at a brand new home in Turin, Italy. The race to Turin starts soon and to remind us all of what it means to win both the singles and the doubles trophies we hear this week from five of the event's very finest. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that if you asked every tennis fan for their top five men singles players of all time and their top two doubles teams of all time our guests this week would be universal picks. That is my claim. You can agree Or disagree as you wish. Shortly you'll hear from the Bryan brothers, Bob and Mike, talking with another doubles great, Peter Fleming, partner, of course, of John McEnroe for all those years. But we start with singles, and it doesn't really get any better than Bjorn Borg, Roger Federer, talking with Tim Henman about their finals memories. It's really an interview that needs no further introduction, so we'll simply hand over to Tim. So Bjorn, you
1: first qualified in 1974 in Melbourne on grass as an 18 year old. Talk us through that experience. How was it to qualify so young?
2: Well, you know, during during my time, the most important thing every year was to qualify for the ATP finals. Uh, Everybody was talking about it week after week. Every week we came to to a tournament to have this huge uh, board with the names and points, say maybe 20 names. So all the players going up to this board and look, I have that many points and uh, they were talking about it the whole week. Next week, the same thing, week after week, year after uh, month after month. So to qualify was the most important thing. And for me to qualify was the biggest thing for me. And like you say, Tim, the first time was was in, uh, in Melbourne, 74. And uh, I, I didn't do too well, but I was happy to be there, to be part of the eight guys to play. And uh, But it, it is a big thing, like it is not, to qualify for the ATP finals. Rog, when were you first aware
1: of the ATP finals?
3: The big one for me was clearly uh, the spell when they had it in Germany. I don't know if you, play, you played in Germany, but uh, this is when all the guys played, you know, uh, and it was, uh, Broadcasted here in Switzerland as well with German TV, with uh, Boris and uh, Michael Stick and Ed Berg and Sampras and and Curry and everybody. So that was the generation I was following the most. and they, I think they had it in Hanover and Frankfurt, I believe, and, they, and maybe for almost 10 years. And uh, that was the time when I was following it the most. Uh, you know? And then it started to bounce around a little bit. And in that time, I called it for the very first time back in 2002 uh, in Shanghai at the Expo Center.
1: And so Bjorn, you touched on your first year, second year, 75 in Stockholm. How was that, again to qualify, but then to play in front of your home, home crowd?
2: Always when you played uh, in your home country, it was it's a lot of pressure. But uh, I was very happy that uh, the ATP finals moved to Sweden, because we never had it before, and uh, I qualify. and. Uh, here I am in the Koenlia in the Royal Hall, playing the, playing the ATP finals. And uh, I did really well. Uh, I went to the final, I lost in the final to Nastasi, but it was a big thing. Uh, was a lot of pressure in the final. Uh, I, I thought I had a good chance, uh, but he played well and uh, I didn't play too well, but it was a nice experience for
1: me. Nastasi was, was pretty impressive in the, in
2: the ATP finals. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> And that particular final, uh, uh, he played really well, but I didn't play too well. <laughs> up, up to the final, I played unbelievable tennis. But <laughs> when I played that final, uh, I, don't really, I don't really know what happened. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. I think I won like four or five games. So I was not too happy. Also, best of five or best of three? Best of best. Of one set. <laughs> <The> best of, <laughs>
1: Best of fun, it was, oh was uh, 626261 so we'll give we'll give Astazi the, the credit that day yeah. so Rob, um, you talked about qualifying first time and then you've only won the six times 2003 4 <laughs> 6 7 10 and 11 is there any you know one of those uh, events that you won that stands out the most
3: uh, probably I go have to go back to Houston in two thousand and uh, three when i um, I won the very first time, um, like Bjorn said, I think for me qualifying for the at the time the tennis masters cup was uh, a huge deal of course uh, we were also always following the race and uh, in two thousand and two I got a little bit of an experience. I played really well there in Shanghai, lost in the semis and a tough one against Hewitt but then in two thousand and three when I got there um, i I remember it was like a Three, four-way race for world number ones. I think there was changes going on throughout the year, and then uh, it was Agassi, Roddick, me, and uh, I wonder who else it was. Maybe it was Roddick the second year. I, I, I keep forgetting. But anyway, it was like a really a, a great year for me to be part of the the best eight. And I think, uh, and it all started with the first round match or the, in the group against Agassi. And I think I, I remember saving match points, winning seven six in the third and end up playing Andre again in the finals and then beating him in straight sets uh, in the finals. And for me, that really like opened my belief that I could actually I could beat the best baseline players uh, from the baseline because I didn't panic. I didn't just start rushing the net. And for me, 2003 was a, a, a true breakthrough tournament for me uh, at the Tennis Masters Cup at the time.
1: And one of the things, um, Roger, I remember about that event was that it was outdoors. Um, yeah. How do you feel about two things? How do you feel about the ATP finals moving around the world to different cities, but then also you know potentially changing
3: surfaces i mean it, I mean obviously it wasn 't complete surface change, but yes, at the time, indoors, as you know, we had several different surfaces. We had the the stickier one, the terraflex, and then we had the green sets coming, you know the more sandy ones and then going through the, the outdoors clearly there 's always a change and uh, and uh, the thing is that, you know, uh, lately we've always had them indoors and they started to get really steady at the O2 in London, um, in Shanghai too, amazing event. And they asked me always like, where do you think the World Tour Finals should go? And I said, well, it, honestly, it doesn't matter where it goes. And because any player will go where it goes, because I would go travel to the moon if I, uh, if I could, you know. And that's why when I got to Houston, I didn't care if it was indoor, outdoor, or on clay, or on hard or on grass. You know, I just wanted to be part of that event. And, uh, but it was definitely a different experience, especially after Shanghai, you know. And uh, it was a really nice club. I remember in Houston, um, uh, I, I don't know, I had a great experience. I, I just spoke to Mirka before and asked her, what do you remember the most? And she also talked about Houston right away. Somehow, those two years uh, that the Tennis Masters Cup was there, Uh, were quite uh, incredible, and I I really enjoyed those two years, yeah.
1: And so Bjorn, um, you obviously had a tough final in 75, but then in 79 and 80, you won back-to-back finals. You beat uh, Gerolitis, you beat Lendl in straight sets. How how did those wins sort of rate um, against all the big titles that you won in your (coughs)
2: career? Well, I think what Roger said, that uh, the, the finance was moving around, bouncing around in different cities uh, all over the world. But in 1978, it, it, uh, it came to, uh, for the first time, in the garden, Madison Square Garden in New York. And I think ATP did a very smart, brilliant move to say that now we're going to play here for many, many years to come. We play in the same arena. It was one of the most famous arenas in the world. And it still is a famous arena today. Play on the same surface, you play indoors. So I thought that was a great move for, for, for the ATP finals. The year I came there first, I think uh, me and Jimmy was in the final first. He beat me in the first final in the Garden. And then I came back and I was in the two other finals against Gerolitis and, and uh, Lander, And that meant a lot because the matches before... Uh, one year I played uh macro in the in the group. We were in the same group and it was like a crazy match. I, I uh I won 7-6 in the third, but in the second set tiebreaker was like three-all, and uh I passed him or he didn't he didn't take the ball because he thought the ball was gonna go up, but it it, it just landed right on the line. So supposed to be four-three for me in the tiebreaker. It was a huge point, and then the umpire, I think he overruled or something, he said the ball was out or something. And then I got, how am going to say this in, in a nice word, very upset. No, so, never. <laughs> never. So I went to the umpire and I was standing there and I was not abusing or anything. I was pretty nice to the umpire, but I wanted some answer. He didn't give me the right answer to the umpires. So I got very more upset and then I got penalty, two penalty points. It was something <laughs> for Macchio in the tiebreaker. Yeah. And then uh, that was the only time in my tennis career that I got uh, warning and penalties. So, um, but I ended up winning the match mm-hmm. in a way. So uh, that was a crazy match. It was a lot of crazy matches like that in the garden. But talking about the finals, I was very happy to to win twice in the in the ATP finals. and. Uh, those victory means a lot for me because it's very important. I mean, here you are, the eight the eight best players in the world trying to qualify, and everybody's there in the final. And it's tough to win. I mean, look what Roger did. He won six times. He's been in the semifinals, finals. It's unbelievable what what he achieved in the finals. But I was happy with my my two victories, and it meant a lot for me. It's important. It's a very important tournament to win for me, anyway and I'm sure for other players too. So I was very pleased about, about those finals.
1: And, and you talked about those, uh, that match with McEnroe, obviously uh, the rivals you had and, you, and, and the different characters. So, you know, whether it was playing Connors, McEnroe, Gerolitis or Nastasi, who had an unbelievable record in the World Tour finals, who was the most challenging for you to play against beyond?
2: I think the matches we had, uh, I played macro twice in, in, in the garden and I played corners three times. Uh, I beat macro twice and corners twice and I lost once. But those five matches was, I think most, almost matches went to the 7-6 and the tiebreak in the third set. It was unbelievable tennis. Was, everybody likes it. It was a good promotion for tennis worldwide I and mean, even for the ATP finals. So that, I think that helps tennis a lot and it helps us. Uh, we had great uh, rivalries and uh, so those particular matches was uh, unbelievable, I think, for all of us. And Rog, you know,
1: for you, you've had many great rivals, but if you had to pick out one rival that um, sort of transcends the Tour Finals, who who would that be?
3: It's a really good question. I was uh, wondering if you're going to ask me that question and while Bjorn was answering. I was trying to think, who is the <laughs> player I've played against the most, you know? I mean, it's going to be probably maybe Novak, you know. Uh, I feel like I played Novak a bunch in, uh, in London, maybe Delpo uh, as well a couple of times. I feel like I've had a lot of indoor matches with him. And then, of course, uh, Rafa always comes, uh, comes around, or I felt like also Leighton. I had some good ones with Leighton, you know, early on in 2002, and then definitely also in four. I, played, I beat him in the finals there. So, I, I mean, I honestly, I couldn't tell. You know, you maybe know the stats better than I do. I, keep, I start forgetting here now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we've been privileged enough to, to watch certainly, um, you know, the last 11 or 12 years in London. Um, and you've had some amazing rivalries against some other great competitors. This is, a, again, a difficult question uh, for you, Roger. If you had to pick your best match from the ATP finals, I, I can remember a couple. But if, is there one will, that stands out for you where you feel like it all came together in the in the tour finals?
3: I think maybe I have to go back to Shanghai, uh, the the uh, the Blake finals and the Ferrer finals. I feel like then uh, there was a semi-finals, the like Gaston Gaudio, I'm not going to remind him about that one. Bjorn had a lot of those matches. I only had, uh, you know, I think one. But uh, no, I mean, so I think this is uh, definitely, that was a time where, um, you know, I was playing so much tennis, uh, winning a lot of tournaments during the year and you know i I really hope that could finish uh, in style and just really finish strong and then just really save maybe the best tennis for the last match of the season and go on vacation with that uh, that was truly something incredible and i feel like maybe the shanghai finals both did that for me
1: and uh bjorn if you if we took you to play in today's era with the racket and the string technology how How do you think you would uh sort of transport your game? what would be your your style of play playing in the modern game
2: well that's a very difficult uh, question to answer uh, <laughs> i think um, mm-hmm. i mean tennis changed a lot compared to I play i mean the, the guys are hitting ball ball so much harder it's a diff- it's completely different game but to answer that question, it's like i don't know i mean if I started, if I were like six years old, and I have to start to play the game the players play today with the rackets, the strings, and do the whole thing again. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's impossible to answer. Uh, I had my time, uh, We our, our area, and I'm very happy with that. I really uh, enjoy watching these guys you know, playing tennis today. I mean, they're they playing unbelievably great tennis. Uh, and the competition today is so tough, and uh, so I will continue to to watch these guys today, and I enjoy it very much.
1: This is a question to both of you, um, Rog. If you could take a shot or an asset of Bjorn's game and implement it into yours, what would it
3: be? Back and down the line, Bjorn, maybe. What do you <laughs> think? The
1: uh, two-hander. I mean, a two-hander.
3: I mean, the two-hander, you know, like, it never misses, you know. My my battle has been my whole life to make sure I can hit the four backhands in a row over the court uh, nicely, you know, and I feel like Bjorn could close his eyes and do that all day long. If I knew my backhand would never miss, that would be um, a, a very good uh, asset to have, you know, and then, of course, there's many other aspects to it. I've always admired Bjorn for his... Uh, uh, his His mental strength, you know, just being so ice cool and relaxed and just uh, being there in the biggest of moments. And that's what champions do and uh, the way he carried himself and what he did for the game. And uh, that's why you're the king, Bjorn. And you know it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's always nice. He's always nice. And Bjorn, if you could take, um, you know, one shot from Roger's game and add it to yours, what, what would it be?
2: Well, I'll probably take the whole game for Roger, <laughs> <laughs> if that's possible. Can I take more than one shot? Only one, only one. <laughs> only one shot. Uh, I know he's, he doesn't have any way, he, he has the perfect game. But I like to, uh, to take his slices back in. his slice in. Uh, I like right. that very much. I like that very, very much. It's very effective when yep. he uh, is in that mood and he knows exactly what to do with that slice backhand too. Uh, I like that a lot on this game. Yeah. In this game. it would complement your two-hander. Two-hander. Exactly. Nice. I, need, I needed that slice. <laughs> I needed that slice too.
1: Good variation. Good variation. Um, yes. And you've both touched on it a little bit um, so far. Whilst we've been talking, your your demeanour on the court, you know, the vast majority of the time, you're very cool, calm, and collected. Both of you. Um, you know, Roger. To you first. That that probably hasn't always been the case. Um, you know when did when did your sort of attitude really change on the court?
3: How do you know that my attitude has <laughs> always been uh, spot on? Watch. I've been watching. <laughs> you, you experienced it against me. few <laughs> oh, times. I've had some some uh, major meltdowns, but some good ones, you know. Mostly angry at myself, uh, you know. Rarely against the others. Um, a little bit disappointed in some of the handshakes I gave back in the day, you know <laughs> because I, I felt like it was the the, the opponent 's mistake I lost, you know, even though it was all myself <laughs> to blame but uh, no, I think actually bjorn and me we have a very similar story it 's just that bjorn figured it out like probably uh, early on in his teens, and it took me much later to understand what uh, what it takes to become a champion and that 's why bjorn uh, together with Rafa, is the, are the best the teenage players ever in our game, you know. But uh, I think I just needed more time and uh, uh, to figure things out, how to behave on the court, how to handle the pressure of maybe live TV uh, spectators in the stadium and, uh, and res- understand what respect also for the game meant. And it's okay, you know, to show your emotions. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's interesting somehow people always keep asking me like, how are you so cool, calm and collected? Because most of them only know me since I won my first Wimbledon 2003. But before that, that those were the interesting years for me. And actually looking back, those were the emotionally, emotionally really good ones for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you, you touched on your match um, at Madison Square Gardens in the ATP Finals, Bjorn, when you, you lost your cool, which was so unusual. Are there any other matches, you know, in your career where you may have looked cool, calm and collected on the outside. But you know, you were very frustrated and really fighting hard to (laughs)
2: control. Yeah, everything in (laughs) a (laughs) match.
3: Exactly, that's how it
2: is. (laughs) I think, like Roger said, I think we were pretty similar. I mean, I was suspended when I was 13 years old. They suspended me for three months because of bad behavior. I came back, I didn't open my mouth because I didn't want to get suspended again because I love tennis. I wanted to play tennis, and uh, but I was behaving bad. The same with Roger. I think it took process for him to 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 know how to to re- react and learn how to to play and keep his emotion inside. But of course, as a player, you you get so frustrated sometimes. I mean, you like you want to scream, you want to do something, but you still have to keep it inside because. For me as a player, when I played, I'm not gonna gain anything to, to, you know, to get mad or upset or whatever. So I tried to keep it inside and I think that was probably a strong part of my game to do that. Because like Roger too, he's, he's the same kind of guy because the other players, they have no idea how you feel or what your emotion is. Did you like that shot or you dislike that shot? You just keep playing. And I think that's very important for, for a player. Bjorn, Roger, thank you so much for joining me. It's been great fun
1: to catch up. Um, Stay safe and look forward to seeing you both soon.
3: All right. Thank you, Henners. It was great fun. I enjoyed it. Bjorn, you're the best. Great to see you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you,
2: Tim. Nice to see you guys. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and
1: ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast.
4: Hi, I'm Peter Fleming, And we are the Brian Bros. And today we'll be reflecting on our memories from the NITO ATP Finals. Peter, I wanna know if it's harder to share the court with your sibling or your longtime partner, John McEnroe.
5: Ha <laughs> ha, just get right into it. To be fair, it wasn't hard to share a court with John McEnroe. He was the greatest doubles player I ever saw, but he was also a great partner. But you guys were twins, right? So, I mean, that had to be so much easier. You know, you had such an amazing connection.
4: We were a package deal and we're best friends. We traveled the tour together for 23 years, been together for 42 years and nine months. So when we got on the court, it felt like we were one entity. We looked up to you guys, you guys were awesome. You guys inspired us. Winning seven ATP finals in a row is just an amazing achievement.
5: Yeah, you guys were together 24 seven for 20 years. How did you manage to do that and not
4: go crazy? You know, Mike and I, our team would have broken up for sure if we weren't twins. I think even siblings, it would have broken down. Because we have the same DNA, it was a little bit of an unbreakable bond. We had our tough moments. You know, we, because we were siblings and twins, we could say anything to each other. And it often got very, very nasty. Wait, wait, who was the nastier? Uh, it depended bond. on the day. Nah. <laughs> Most teams, they, they only last a couple years. It's, it's, a, it's a tough marriage. There's a lot of pressure. But we just had that, that twin bond really kept us together for so long.
5: John and I played together for eight years, and that seemed like uh, it was tough. But nowadays, you're there, you know, almost what thirty five weeks a year or something stupid, and and that must get really hard.
4: You know, the doubles players today, a lot of them are, you know, in that pressure cooker thirty five weeks a year, like you said, just focusing on their doubles practices and their matches. Uh, tensions often you know, get very high and, and teams break up. Eight years together, you and John, that's a, that's a hell of a run. Peter, you won seven Nitto ADB finals. How did you guys find so much success as a pair?
5: They were played indoors. We were, that was our favorite surface. You know, No wind, no sun, no distractions. To add on to that, we played at Madison Square Garden. You know, we both grew up in the New York area. Uh, you know, I remember going to, to the garden with my dad when I was nine years old to watch Laver and Rosewall play. There was just something about it that was so exciting. And so there was no problem getting up for that tournament.
4: Uh, Peter, is there any one of those tournaments that stands out to you? I guess maybe
5: the first one. It was,
4: what, January
5: of 1979, and we were both playing great. And so we went to New York, and and we won the doubles, and John won the singles. That was the, his first Masters title. That was really exciting. Just a, It was a thrill. Just a wow. We, we won the Masters, and he won the singles as well. That was that was not bad. What did the NITO ATP finals mean to you guys? And and do you remember any standout matches?
4: The, the first one was pretty awesome. It was in 03 in Houston at home. We never finished number one yet. We hadn't been number one. And there was a lot riding on it. I think um, in the semis, I think, we're Bob, we were down 6-3 in the tiebreaker against Bjorkman and Woodbridge. I don't know. Magic happened, and we ended up... Winning that and then we won the finals in five sets against Lodra Santoro and, and we were just speeding off the energy of the, of the fans and the crowd. The first time they had uh, the NITO in London, we actually lost our first round robin match and we had to win the rest of the matches in straight sets to get to the semis and then run the table and win the tournament. For me, being able to win four matches in a row and kind of tip the race and finish number one when it all came down to one match, that's my greatest memory. So,
5: Bob, you hit a couple of tweener lobs at the Nido ATP Finals. It's up on the big screen all the time. Talk me through that.
4: We hit the one against Melzer uh, and Pechner. Oh, what's a shot! We won the point there, and then I hit, mm-hmm. did I hit one against uh, Melo and Dodig, possibly? but That was two. I got it from Monser Garami when I went to a senior event when we were, like, 12 years old, and he was pulling out every trick in the book. We love these trick shots we were doing them in practice. And then we said, if we're going to take that on the double court, we got to go for the law. And Mike,
5: you won the NITO ATP finals with Jack Sock, you discarded Bob. I guess he had somewhat hip surgery or something. But, but, but what was that like to play with a totally different personality?
4: It, it was frankly pretty weird, you know, playing with my brother since day one and then joining with a... A young guy that, that brought, you know, different skills. Me and Jack were really doing it for Bob. We would say that after every match we won, this is for you, Bob. It was still fun, but it, it's, it's always better winning with, with your bro. If you were doing it for me, why didn't you share the prize money with me? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, who was the toughest team you guys faced? in the, in the finals we
5: only lost one set in those seven years so so <laughs> it was um and that was, was nobody. against everyone, that was Edmondson and Marks. I think we beat him like six-two, six-seven, six-two, or something. And there were a lot of good teams back then. Feedback and Auker were good and the, the McNamara McNamee. The force was with us. We just walked into Madison Square Garden and we were just feeling it. I, I don't think I
4: ever really felt like we were going to lose. All right, Peter, you once said that John McEnroe and anyone is the best partnership in the world. Um, but what did you bring to the table?
5: He was the best doubles player I ever saw. He was so quick. And, and if I hit a good return down low, we won 95% of those points. He, like, had some sixth sense where he knew that they were going up the line and, and, and he was there, you know, so they couldn't get it past him. You know, we weren't identical twins, but we had a really good chemistry, and I think that was one of our, our great strengths. Okay, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's, let's do some fantasy doubles If you could pick any partner to play with and any team that you would like to play against, who would it be?
4: I'll pick Danny Nestor. You know, he was our arch rival for so many years. We played him over 50 times. He was a lefty, so righty-lefty combo would be great. Let's play Macro Fleming. They dominated for so long, so see if we could uh, hang with these guys. If I would play with anybody, it would be Paul McNamee.
5: You know, I moved okay, but I was no speedster. Paul McNamee was lightning he could cover you know so much court and and just dominate at the net as on my serve so who to play against
4: you know um anybody bring him on I would play uh with Agassi you know not not a really a devil's player but lights it up you know we always idolized him it'd be cool to just hear what he had to say on, on the same side of the court and take on Mike and Nadal You know, I want want Mike on the other side of the court, see what that return looks like coming at my shoelaces and see if I could blow him up on the serve.
5: Guys, great talking to you. That was a lot of fun, just just reminiscing on old times. Hope you're doing
0: well and, and good luck. Thanks,
4: Peter. Thanks, Peter.
0: Our thanks to Peter Fleming and the Bryan brothers, Bob and Mike, and before them, to Bjorn Borg, Roger Federer and Tim Henman with the questions next week we're joined by the coaches of two of the megastars of 2020 novak Djokovic and dominic team and we meet two more multiple grand slam winners from the doubles game germany's kevin kravitz and brazilian Marcelo mello i'm seb lozier thanks for listening if you've enjoyed it leave us a review don't be shy tell someone else about the atp tennis radio podcast join us next time